the apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to all the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he dismissed, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He just saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was and wherever he went into villages, towns or countryside. They placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Great. Well, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Do keep your Bibles open and you can follow through uh, what we're thinking about from Mark 6 this afternoon. Uh, do you remember having to manually tune a radio? Uh, now, for some of us of a certain age, tuning a radio is simply a matter of pressing a button and then you get clean, pure DAB, DAB signal with no crackle. So you can hear Billie Eilish in all her musical glory. 
or enjoy crisp commentary on another England batting collapse in the cricket, or catch up with the Archer's adventures in Ambridge in HD. Others of us, though, remember having to manually tune a radio. You used to have to turn a dial and watch a little red line move up and down the frequency marker. You'd frantically turn the dial a huge amount to try and find the station you wanted, and then you'd end up turning it a fraction to the right or to the left to try and get the signal as clear as possible. If you turned too far, you'd lose the station. You'd end up with static and fuzz and possibly a station from a different country. Uh, feel free to ask your parents what that was like after the service. Well, however you manage it, when listening to the radio, you need to be tuned in to the right frequency if you're going to hear clearly. Miss the frequency and you get static and fuzz. Get the frequency right and you can enjoy a political discussion or woman's hour or, or Greg James, whatever your choice is. That's useful to bear in mind when we come to Mark 6 today. We need to get the frequency right so that we hear these verses clearly. In Mark 6, we need to be tuned in to the Old Testament. That's the station to lock the dial to so we can hear clearly what he's saying. Miss the frequency and we'll be puzzled by certain ideas, confused by what's going on in these verses. But get the frequency right and we'll grasp these verses and feel their beauty and power today. We need to tune in to the Old Testament because Jesus' ministry doesn't happen in a vacuum. His ministry is the fulfillment of the Old Testament story of God's dealings with the people of Israel. And this theme of fulfillment is seen when Jesus often rehearses Old Testament incidents in his ministry. It's seen when Jesus refers back to Old Testament events or turning points or stories to help people make sense of what he's doing. You see, he wants people to, to think back into the Old Testament, to recall a, a lesson or example from the past and bring that forward into how they understand him. It's kind of like what happens when we're facing a challenge of some sort and we describe it as one small step for man. You see, we're referring back to the moon landing in 1969, unless we all think it was a hoax. We know that incident. It's part of our culture, even though none of us were there. We may have watched it live on TV at the time or just seen the reenactments on the crown. But we take that example of courage and ingenuity from the past, we bring it forward to interpret the situation we're currently in. That's kind of like what's going on here in Mark 6. Jesus is referring back to some big Old Testament events and themes as he feeds the 5,000 and walks on the water. And Mark wants us to get onto the Old Testament frequency to hear those connections. If we do, we'll pick up amazing things about Jesus' identity. We'll have our vision of him sharpened. If we get the Old Testament frequency, we'll pick up huge encouragements here for our lives today. 
to look to Jesus for all that we need, to keep trusting him in the face of our fears. So although we might not find it easy to tune in to Mark's frequency, let's lean in to what he's sharing. Transport the times we need to tune into the Old Testament frequency at home. Talk about it amongst yourselves and let me know later how you get on. You see, turning, tuning into the Old Testament frequency will help us hear two big life-changing conclusions about Jesus here. And the first big conclusion for us today is that Jesus is the Lord, the shepherd king who provides for his people. Jesus is the Lord, the shepherd king who provides for his people. That's the, the big point of this story of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. You see, it's ultimately a story about Jesus. It's meant to teach us something about his identity and mission. This story shows us that Jesus is the Lord, the shepherd king who provides for his people. See, he, he's at the heart of the action, isn't he? He's the lead actor on the stage at this moment. He is the one who, who feeds the people, even if he uses his disciples to assist him. This is drawn out for us in the conversation recorded between Jesus and his disciples in verses 35 to 38. Let's recap. A, a huge crowd has gathered to hear Jesus, but it's now late and people are hungry. The disciples don't have any food to spare for them. The crowd doesn't have any food to spare. And it's a remote location, so they can't all pop down to Sainsbury's and pick up a meal deal. All they have is five loaves and two fish. And yet, somehow, at the end of the story, 5,000 hungry men are fed. My wife Eve and I have very different expectations of the kind of things we're looking for when we go out for a meal. Uh, Eve is looking for fancy decor, chic ambience uh, and candles and stuff like that. Uh, I'm looking for four key words. All you can eat. See, I love those words that 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 they're an invitation I accept. Uh, they're a challenge that I'm willing to rise to. Well, here is an all you can eat buffet like none other. Everyone is fed full. No one is hungry. 5,000 men have been satisfied to say nothing of women and children who were doubtless there as well. And 12 basketfuls of leftovers are collected. That is amazing. Something miraculous, wonderful, humanly impossible has happened. And that raises the question. Who can do this? Who is able to multiply loaves and fish to feed so many hungry mouths? And Mark wants us to answer that question by saying it is Jesus, the Lord, the shepherd king who is feeding people. And he shows us this by referring back to the Old Testament story, particularly the book of Exodus. This is the first time we need to tune into the Old Testament frequency. See, in Exodus 16, God fed his people with bread from heaven in the wilderness. And here, 
Jesus in a remote location feeds his people with bread miraculously provided as a demonstration that he is the Lord Yahweh the God of the Old Testament come in the flesh the identification of Jesus as the Lord the shepherd king is even clearer when we see what happens when Jesus encounters the crowd look at verse 34 we read when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd Jesus arrives sees the crowd and is moved with compassion for them because they're as helpless as sheep without the protective care of a shepherd I don't know if you've ever driven along winding hilly roads in places like Wales. You drive along those roads and you see countless sheep in perilous positions on the edge of cliffs overlooking a huge drop that you're fearful for their welfare. You see sheep get into trouble without a shepherd. And it is exactly the same here. Now, this language of sheep and shepherd is deeply rooted in the Old Testament. This is the second time we need to tune into the Old Testament frequency. You see, time and again, God's people in the Old Testament are described as sheep. And Israel's rulers, their political or spiritual guides are described as shepherds. And specifically, shepherd is part of the job spec for Israel's king in the Old Testament. Listen to what God promises the great Israel, great, greatest Israelite king, David, in 2 Samuel verse 5. God promises, you shall shepherd my people Israel, and you shall become their ruler. See, to rule and to shepherd are the same reality. But here, in Mark 6, what are the people like? They are like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless, vulnerable, at risk. And this is a severe criticism of the current leadership of Israel at the time. That's the kind of way we're supposed to hear it. It's no accident that this miracle of feeding the 5,000 happens immediately after Jewish King Herod's drunken feast, which led to the death of John the Baptist. We thought about that last week. You see, King Herod isn't a true shepherd king. He's not in it to protect the people. He's in it to exploit the people. His feast leads to death. But Jesus' feast, the meal he hosts, leads to life. It's no accident. This miracle happens immediately before the Pharisees return and start accusing Jesus in chapter seven. So the Pharisees aren't true shepherds. They're not leading the people spiritually. All they teach is man-made traditions. But Jesus teaches God's truth. And in contrast to the lack of leadership, Jesus is the Lord, the shepherd king moved with compassion for vulnerable sheep. And if we need to be convinced any further, note the little detail 
that when Jesus has fed the people, we, uh, when he is about to feed the people, we see verse 39. Jesus makes all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Now, that's obviously a, a mark of this being a credible eyewitness account. But it's also significant given the shepherd theme. You see, in Psalm 23, the great shepherd psalm of the Old Testament that introduces us to the good shepherd. We see that this good shepherd makes the sheep lie down in green pastures. Here's the third time we need to tune into the Old Testament frequency. We're supposed to see a connection here underlining for us. Jesus is the Lord, the shepherd king. But friends, we, we need to push it further and see Jesus is the Lord, the shepherd king who provides for his people. And that's abundantly clear in these verses, isn't it? Jesus is concerned to provide some downtime for his weary disciples as the story opens in verse 31. He provides teaching for the helpless crowd without guidance or leadership in verse 34. He provides bread in the wilderness to meet the physical needs of the crowd in verse 42. But Jesus has ultimately come to provide a deeper feeding that satisfies spiritual hunger not just physical appetites. Uh, an old Christian called Augustine once said to God, our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. See, Jesus is presented here as the shepherd king who provides rest for our hearts. I remember the Old Testament setting in Exodus, when God fed his people with bread in the wilderness. That happened after he delivered them from slavery in Egypt, in the Exodus, and had brought them out into life and freedom as he claimed them as his own. Well, Mark is pointing out that Jesus has come as the Lord, the, the shepherd king, to provide a new Exodus, to provide a deeper rescue, a more profound deliverance. Not from physical slavery, but, but from spiritual slavery. Not from under the tyranny of a cruel human ruler, but from under Satan, the great enemy of God and God's people. Not providing freedom from evil structures, but from our evil hearts. And this rescue, this new exodus, this lasting deliverance, will be achieved as Jesus walks the path to the cross. It is there we see later in Mark 10 that Jesus gives his life as a ransom for many, to win us freedom and forgiveness. It is there that Jesus defeats Satan and plunders us from his clutches. It is there that Jesus pays the penalty for the wickedness of our hearts, and wins us new life with him in charge. It is there that Jesus makes it possible for us to be welcomed into God's family today, where we can know him as our loving father. That is an amazing provision. A provision that meets our deepest need for a restored relationship with the God who made us, who loves us, 
and to whom each of us is accountable. And this provision can still the restless searching of our hearts for identity and peace and a sense of belonging. We might be tempted to look to others to provide for those deep needs. Maybe a spouse, maybe seeing those things coming to us through our children. Or maybe looking to our leaders to deliver those things for us. But only Jesus is the Lord, the shepherd king, who provides for his people in this way. So today we might be hungry. We might be in the wilderness. We might feel very vulnerable like sheep without a shepherd. We'll look to Jesus, the shepherd king, who gives rather than takes, who provides rather than exploits, who serves rather than dominates. And whether for the first time or the millionth time, let's trust him and rest in his love for us. Let's come close to him again. Let's ask him to provide all that we need, both for this life and for the life to come. That's exactly how we should respond to Jesus, the Lord, the shepherd king who provides for his people. That's the first big lesson for us today. Jesus is the Lord, the shepherd king who provides for his people. The second big point Mark wants us to see from these verses is that Jesus is the Lord, the creator God, whose presence comforts his people. Jesus is the Lord the creator God, whose presence comforts his people. That's the big point of this second miracle, where Jesus walks on the water in the middle of a storm. And it's impossible to read this story again without seeing that Mark is making a big claim about Jesus' identity, that he is the Lord, the creator God. Actually, again, we must tune back into the frequency of the Old Testament. See, at numerous times there, Yahweh, the the true God of the Bible, is pictured as walking on the waters. And so by telling us that Jesus also walks on water here, Mark wants us to grasp that Jesus is a man, but, but not just a man. He is the Lord, the creator God, walking in his world and showing his authority over his creation by walking on the water. See, this miracle discloses something of God's glory. It reveals something of Jesus' character. It is a moment of human divine encounter. We see that underlined and put in bold font and highlighted in colour by two additional elements in the story. Firstly, we read that as Jesus walks on the water in verse 48, He was about to pass by them, we read, verse 48. That's strange. Why would Jesus pass by them? Well, it's a loaded word. Somewhere in our minds, an Old Testament alarm is meant to be going off at this point. It's another Old Testament frequency moment. 
you see, when God met Moses all those years ago and gave him the Ten Commandments, he passed by Moses to reveal his character. So passing by equals God revealing himself. And it's the same here. As Jesus walks on the water, God is passing by, revealing himself. And secondly, in the face of the disciples' fears that Jesus is a ghost, look at what he says to them, verse 50. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And Jesus more woodenly says, take courage, I am. Don't be afraid. I am. Jesus echoes the divine name here, the name that God himself gave his people to call him. That's the final time we need to tune into the Old Testament frequency today. But Jesus is making a claim to deity, a claim to be Yahweh, the Lord, meeting people up close, face to face, in the flesh. And that is why Jesus' disciples don't need to be afraid. See, Jesus, the Lord, the creator God is with them. His presence can comfort them. It's kind of like the way we instinctively grasp the hand of a loved one when they're fearful. In that small act, we express our presence with them, and we hope it will be a comfort to those who are afraid. See, friends, we need to be comforted. There is no need to fear if Jesus, the Lord, the creator God, is with us. That he holds our hand today. And I don't know where you're tempted to fear this afternoon. It might be fear of your own mortality. That wouldn't be unusual in the midst of a global pandemic that's killed over 124,000 people in this country alone. That can make us afraid, can't it? But Jesus speaks comfort to us. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. You see, Jesus is with us. The one who ultimately defeats death, rising to new bodily, unending life after he's brutally executed. The one who promises that he will raise bodily all who love him one day, reuniting us with other Christians we've lost along the way, bringing us safely to our eternal home on a renewed earth with him. The one who will walk with us all the way through life, no matter what comes our way. There is ultimately no need to be afraid. Or it might be the fear of what other people think about us. That wouldn't be unusual in our culture that's so quick to shut down anyone who steps over the lines of approved beliefs and behavior. A culture that's so quick to cancel and so slow to listen thoughtfully and engage respectfully. 
If you don't believe me, spend an hour on social media and you'll soon change your mind. We sense how out of step our beliefs, our ethics are with the world around us. And we know that identifying as a Christian could be painful and costly and isolating. That can make us afraid, can't it? But Jesus speaks comfort to us. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. See, see, Jesus is with us. The one who knows the pain of being rejected by people, even his closest friends, by those he was looking to for support. The one whose evaluation of us is ultimately the most important thing. The one who loves us and accepts us forever, secure in his grace, into his family. There is ultimately no need to be afraid. Or it might be the fear of what will happen to this church in the next week or, or month or year. That wouldn't be unusual at this time of uncertainty and change we're facing as a church family. Things will be different. People we love will be moving on. Decisions about our future will need to be made. There is lots that could go wrong. And that can make us afraid, can't it? But Jesus speaks comfort to us. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus is with us. The, the one who loves his church and will never leave her defenseless. The one who walked the difficult path in his life and so can walk in sympathy with us when we do the same. The one who controls the circumstances of this church for our good, his glory and the fruitfulness of the gospel. There is ultimately no need to be afraid. It is as true today as it was on the Sea of Galilee all those years ago. Jesus is the Lord, the creator God, whose presence comforts his people. So, friends, as we've tuned into Mark's Old Testament frequency today, we've seen Jesus is the Lord, the shepherd king who provides for his people. Jesus is, secondly, the creator God, whose presence comforts his people. Let me ask you a question as we finish. Can you see Jesus clearly today? I ask that question because the disciples couldn't yet. Did you notice that rather odd detail in the middle of the high point of the miracle in verse 52? Look down in your Bibles, verse 52. The disciples, we read, had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. See, although they'd witnessed these two miracles up close and personal, they didn't see the significance of them yet. They couldn't put it all together. That Their spiritual sight was missing. There was a hardness in their heart that needed to be overcome. So what about you? Can you see Jesus clearly? If, honestly, you, you can't see Jesus clearly yet, if, 
These stories are confusing. If Jesus is a little hazy and out of focus, take that as an invitation to keep on asking him for sight. Keep tracking with us as a church as we continue through Mark's gospel. It may be that you need to see the full story of Jesus ending in his death and resurrection before the penny drops and it makes sense. So keep reflecting on these amazing miracles. Keep pondering them in your mind and heart. But if you can see Jesus clearly today, then thank him for that and pray your heart will stay soft to him. And as you do so, commit your way to him as the Lord, the shepherd king who provides for his people. And as the Lord, the creator God, whose presence comforts his people. Why don't I pray for us, friends? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear and reflect upon these things this afternoon. And Father, we pray your word would do its work in our hearts and lives. Please move by your spirit. Stir us to respond as we have need to and as we should do this afternoon. Help us in our own different ways, in the different lives and situations and circumstances we are in to trust Jesus, the Lord, the shepherd king, to trust that he will provide for us and help us to keep trusting Jesus, the creator God, and finding his presence to be a comfort and help in the paths of life that we walk today, tomorrow, and on until he calls us home. In his name we pray. Amen.